Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But, but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 welcome back, y'all. This is boy, Dan White Hodge, here in the place, as always, Profane Faith. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, how did you enjoy last week, huh? Part one of Monica and Chris, weren't they deep? Oh, my goodness. That was, uh, that was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I told you, uh, they are they are both amazing, brilliant thinkers uh, in regards to just particularly religious studies. I think oftentimes, you know, we overlook the study of religion. And I know particularly in the humanities and social sciences, um, religion is is not necessarily looked at as as a study. People kind of overlook in, you know, the details and complexities that go into belief or, or, or unbelief for that matter. Um, and so. Um, you know, the particularly the way they look at hip hop, Kendrick, uh, the sacred, the profane, uh, is is such a great way. Um, and it just it's I'm like, oh man, this is this is awesome. So, a uh, yes, part two coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, but if this is your first time listening, as always, in part ones and part twos, I'm going to say go back to last week so that you can know what's happening this week. Um, part one was last week uh, episode, last week's episode, and so we're following up this week on part two. And if you're just uh, joining us for Profane Faith, and this is your first time listening, I always recommend going back and just you know checking out the first few episodes just to kind of get an idea of what the podcast podcast is about um who i am and uh you know just just some, some of the initial guests that i had on the show in regards to how we look at faith in real time in the era that we find ourselves in um I think that's important. I think that's very important. I know for me, uh, this this particular era has found me, uh, and and one of the episodes I'm trying to work on right now is is, and I don't know if this is this is the case for y'all out there as well. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I have not found solace or really good peace in church anymore. Um, I find church to be. Uh, it, well, it's a couple of different things. I know if I go to an all black church, usually, uh, while I'm not necessarily dealing with the race issue, I'm dealing with issues of conservatism, fundamentalism, um, just kind of that hotep black theology, uh, um, the, the devil behind every bush. And so, you know, uh, four letter words wouldn't, wouldn't even be looked at as, as, uh, uh, something that, 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 you know, to help you in your spiritual growth, right? That would be looked at as completely profane and something that you should never do. Like, why would you want to use a four-letter word in God's house, right? 
you know, and then you flip the corner, go to the binary, if you keep it in the binary, and you know, and uh, go to like a progressive, more progressive church, uh, which tends to be very white, uh, very liberal. Um, and then you're dealing with the, uh, you know, you, then you're dealing with the, that, that component. You're dealing with the race component uh, and where you may be able to say shit or ass and all that stuff. Um, then you're back into the issues of race and, you know, the white, the great white hope. Um, and that's where I found myself. I found myself, both my wife and I uh, found that church just made us angrier. Um, and you know, part of it is, is that we served on boards and this and that. And people always say, it's like, Hey, if you don't want to know how sausage is made, don't, you know, don't go in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, I think it's the way we're wired. I think going into the kitchen and I don't think that was the, the ringer. I don't think that was the thing that, that made us leave as much as it was the leadership, as much as it was just the fact that it's just another white church, uh, still trying to do all these great things, uh, say these great things, but then just just be asked backwards when it comes to issues of race and ethnicity. Um, and they speak a good language, but at the end of the day, you scratch just a little bit and it's still the same old, same old. And that's been my problem with modern day Christian, particularly evangelical churches. And, and that particular place still, you know, called itself evangelical, but it's like, man, I don't, I don't know. It's it's this is why I say AAR is such a great place, because it 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 brings me to church. It takes me to church. It 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 if you can believe it, for the majority of the time that I was at uh, the American Academy of Religion and SBL, for that matter, Society of Biblical Literature uh, Conference. I was quiet. I was just taking it in. I was taking in um, the knowledge, taking in the the atmosphere, the papers, the conversations that I was having with folks. Um, you know, I spend my profession talking and having to be the expert. It is great to spend three days in a place where I'm surrounded by others who do the same, but that I can also plug in and get a little refuel. Um, and, you know, I know once a year isn't necessarily enough, but it's one of the few places that I find that I can recharge and learn, um, you know, cause I've, it, you know, typical conferences just don't do it for me. And, you know, it's the same thing with church and I'm not saying it has to be all academic and stats and standard deviation like, but I am saying that I do want to be able to think critically and beyond some of the bullshit, right. That we get oftentimes fed in church, um, and rather than wrestling, you know, having to have answers or still having white leadership that doesn't want to give up power. Right. Um, or you have ethnic minority leadership, but it's stooped in, um, you know, white theology. I mean, you know, let's flip the other side of multi-ethnic intercultural churches. Right. Um, that's my problem with them. Oftentimes is that they present on the outside, the optics of, oh my gosh, this is intercultural, it's diverse, and wow, wow, wow. But at the again, you scratch the surface, and it's still fundamental and evangelical and conservative. Um, you know, and then and oftentimes in multi-ethnic and, and diverse situations, then you're dealing with the whole sexual orientation uh, situation, right? And I refuse to be a part of an organization, a church, especially a church uh, that will openly... Um, 
I should say a church, not necessarily an organization, but a church that claims to be, you know, this, especially if they're, you know, dealing with race and dealing, you know, that, that doesn't put LGBTQI folks uh, in positions of power who doesn't value them. That is inclusive of that. I don't want to keep having the same conversation about is being gay a sin. <laughs> I'm so past that damn fundamental question and that very narrow and dangerous, let me add, uh, interpretation of, of the Bible. And so if I still have to have those conversations, I just don't want to be a part of it. Conversely, the same thing as if I still have to have conversations to educate white folks, right? If you still want to get a lunch with me and 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 pick my brain about how, you know, they can learn more. I'm just like, dude, I'm I, I don't know. Um, church ain't the place for me. You can pay me to come in as a consultant. Right. You can pay me to come in as a professor and teach. But I ain't just going to give away the cow for free. <laughs> Shit. So. Yeah, I'm I'm cool. I'm cool without church. In fact, that's the title of the of the podcast episode I'm working on. Uh, if you're interested in being on, hit me up because I'm I'm just I really am. I'm really cool with 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 not going to church. I feel like I can disciple my own. We can disciple my wife. And I can disciple my own daughter and and broaden questions with that. I feel like the community. I feel like we definitely lack in community, um, and that's something we're trying to figure out. But it's not worth our our own sanity and just the push to get up. Plus, I had to travel at least four. 45 minutes in, uh, you know, to go to church. And I'm like, man, that's just, you know, I rarely, I didn't see really hardly anybody of that church during the week. Um, and you know, that's just, I don't know. It's the modern day plague of churches, right? And you get, get these commuter churches, um, or you get these, you know, folks where everybody's there and it's a small church and everybody's in the neighborhood, but then it's like, you know, you got small church culture, right? Um, so I don't know. I'm, I am confounded with modern day churches and with, where they are currently at and how they are quote unquote developing, you know, the, the community. Now I'm not to say that that churches aren't doing amazing things. There are folks out there doing amazing things and serving the community. So it's not necessarily even about that. Even some of the churches I've been a part of have done some amazing things um, that, you know, again, optically you just look great. And so I ain't necessarily talking about just that, just be, you know, just doing, you know, checking off the list. Okay. We're an activist community. Okay. We're this, we're that. I'm mainly talking about how the deeper issues go beyond just some of the basics um, in, theolo in theology, right? Our understanding of God um, and, and just all the other BS that goes along with that. If, if we're really about diversity, are we allowing that to take shape in policy? You know, um, are we able to live in the tension of not having white folks in control? Or if you are in a multicultural diverse, you know, diverse setting are you know, not allowing, you know, white colonized theology uh, to to rule the roost. Can you know, can we can we can we can we look at that? Can we begin to move beyond that? And I know there are certain churches that are doing that out there. So I'm not saying every place is doing that. I know some of the colleagues I work with are, you know, are, are doing, some, you know, trying out some of those amazing things. But these are big places. I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, these aren't mega churches. I think the masses are always attracted to something that's a little bit easier. That's a little bit calmer. And that's a very much a little bit more traditional. Um, and so my soul yearns uh, for that type of environment. And uh, AAR fulfills that. And again, it's just once a year. So it's like, well, 
whoop de doo It's like, man, I could I could be doing that uh, every weekend. Um, and so I do. I, I wish we could have a little bit more of a complex, you know, dialogue around who God is and how God is formed. Um, and ultimately um, what that Godship looks like in in relation to where we find ourselves today as humans. Right. Um, you know, in in that conversation, I think that bears witness and, you know, and, and, and to mess some things up, troubles and waters. Right. It's like, why does Paul get to write most of the New Testament? Why don't we have others in the canon? Did the can did the, did the councils get the New Testament right? Can we have that conversation? Right. Um, and those are some of the things I'm willing to, you know, to sit in tension with, because I think they're worth the tension that comes with it to better understand our faith, you know, in regards to that. But, you know, hey, that's me. <laughs> that's why I have this podcast. And that's why I continue to want to have conversations um, around this and build uh, because I just don't get that on a quote unquote once a week, you know, church week and stuff like that. And there may be some of you out there right now who are saying, you know, hey, Dan, I think you just need to, you know, just get involved with church. It's like, look, man, I've spent the better part of my life involved in some aspect of church and faith communities. Okay. I did, I made a whole profession of it for years. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, and, and I don't have the answers, but I just, I, I wish we, we were bold enough to believe, at least be able to, to have some, some more spaces, uh, that would be willing to do just that. So I don't know. I'm, you know, here in Chicago, I'm just, I'm, and the other thing is I'm not willing to drive two and a half hours just to go to, you know, a service and then drive two and a half hours back. And so it's like, I don't know. I, I find myself in that kind of, that kind of space right now. And I'm cool with that. That's the thing is I'm okay with that. You know, and maybe some of I mean, some of y'all are feeling a little uncomfortable right now listening to this. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, we just need to find church. I think we need to ask ourselves a question. This is what my wife and I asked ourselves this summer was like, why are we going to church if it pisses us off? Okay. Why am we, or why are we feeling uncomfortable if we don't go to church? Is it, is church going to church that important and coming to find out, you know, for the both of us, we would have been just socialized that way. You just go to church. You, that's, that's just what you do. You know, there's no question about it. You have to find one, right? You have to get to one and it shuts people up when people ask, Hey, where do you worship at? You know, cause it's kind of, it's a pregnant, it's a pregnant, uncomfortable pause to say, I don't really worship anywhere. <laughs> right. You know, and then it's kind of like, oh, oh, you between churches like, no, nah, I just don't want to go to church. I, I, I don't, you know, and then it raises all these questions. Of, oh, don't you love God? And oh, you know, what about this? And, and, and if it's and most of the times I just, you know, I try to move the conversation along because I feel like a lot of times folks just don't want to have that uncomfortable or they want to bring you back. Well, you know, I, I got a church over here and, you know, if you thought about it, hey, you know, this is over here, you know, hey, you know, what if we get together? I'm like, all right, by the time we get to that, I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm cool. Forget I even brought it up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, just some interesting times. So, but I'm working on that. I'm working on that episode. Uh, man, I'd love to get a variety of voices on that. So, uh, yeah, hit me up if you, uh, you know, if you're interested or if you, uh, you know, maybe we could put a panel together. Uh, there's there's something nice and academic for you. Huh? There you go. Um, but, man, AAR was great. It was an amazing time. Uh, I loved it. Uh, you know, our our panel, Critical Approaches to Religion and Hip Hop, uh, has some amazing papers. One looking at Sikhs. 
and their connection to Tupac uh, and oppression, uh, particularly forming around the gun and and you know looking at the gun as a source of freedom uh, and connection to that spiritual uh, connection as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about what's called the performance of accessibility, uh, particularly as it relates to Kanye, uh, music forms, language, fashion, proximity, um, and you know and how Kanye's album you know is trying to really break into black gospel music. We looked at that. Um, we looked a little bit at, at uh, you know, just uh, particularly uh, one of the papers that brought up was this Afro surreal surrealism uh, and looking at particularly uh, aspects of black self-discovery, myths, uh, films like Get Out uh, and Us. You know, how does that uh, come into realization in that? And uh, of course, videos and networking religion uh, digitized black Christians, uh, you know, as a, as opposed to looking at just black millennials. And, you know, this uh, that was uh, Erica Gall. Uh, Dr. Erica Galt, uh, who was proposing that. And uh, her and I are hoping to work, get a book out, hopefully, here within the next year, year and a half, looking at uh, that particular age group, 18 to 28. Um, so hopeful. There's some hopeful things that are coming up on the horizon. Um, and before I turn it back over to Monica and Chris here for part two, definitely want to encourage you if you haven't had a chance to go and check out Baptized in Dirty Water. It's my brand new book on Tupac. Just came out hot off the presses. You can get it on Amazon. Baptized in Dirty Water, reimagining the gospel according to Tupac Amaro Shakur. Cascade Books just put that out, just released it. It's hot off the presses. It's great. And here's the thing. It's priced Oh, it's priced well, so you can afford it. It's not like a big $150, $300 book. So, Baptized in Dirty Water, it's an amazing book. It gets right to the point with Tupac. And then, of course, I as, as with any good educator, I point you to all the resources if you want to get into that. So, uh, go check it out. Let me know what you think. Now, without any further ado in this kind of long breakdown, uh, let's pick up this conversation that I left, uh, with, uh, left you with last week with Dr.'s Monica Miller and Christopher Driscoll. And we are going to get into some more interesting things on Kendrick and life and hip hop. Check it. Yeah. You know, yeah. We know what things mean with Kendrick. Like, you know, when going back to the conversation that um, Chris and Dr. Penn and myself were having in Europe, um, you know, I kept wondering about these sort of more conspiratorial aspects. Is he going to say something else? Well, what does he mean by this? And, you know, how are these things connecting? And I'm looking for, you know, this kind of like coherent systematicity uh, to Kendrick's work um, when in fact it might be just as happenstance and random as it is about constructing a certain kind of meaning at the same time. And just as an example of that, I mean, if folk listeners remember, within maybe a week's time, it may have been days, in fact, after Dam is released, there's already, uh, amongst Kendrick's core fans, a conspiracy that he's about to drop another album right. on top of the one that he just dropped. I mean, can you imagine the yeah. burden placed <laughs> on the artist's shoulders in regard to his fans being the ones to, to kind of manufacture uh, so much more when there's already, it, it's not as if they're counterpointed with a less. I mean, damn wins the Pulitzer, right? I mean, like, yeah, this is not, this is not a kind of uh, blase uh, sixth album to hurry up and get out of your eight album contract record. It's not. This is, uh, this is like the, the newest expression of 
high art, right? Like that, quite literally. And yet it's immediately as it's consumed, it's not enough. Right. There's a, there's, there's a more necessary in it that, um, was really fascinating. And I mean, it's still fascinating. Yeah. I mean, being interested in new black religions and, um, you know, for me, Dan, I was like, Oh my God, he's an Israelite. That's amazing. You know, we're going to be able to write about this and we're talking about something outside of, you know, um, a dominant kind of Christian lens. Um, but you know, he doesn't really take ownership for that, um, Hebrew Israelite thought in his work. It's always about his cousin, right? In in and throughout the work there. And so um even in interviews, Kendrick sort of evades that question um around religion, I think, in a lot of ways. And it's very conspicuous to me and it's auspicious in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to get a, you know, for me, the project is as much getting to learn about Kendrick as it is getting to learn what we need Kendrick to be in varying moments. Mm. See, and that's, uh, I love that. I mean, I love that kind of entanglement and, you know, that push pull and, you know, mm -hmm. and wrestling with, like you said, you know, the making of black meaning. I mean, and especially, you know, in an era that we find ourselves in, right. It's, uh, you know, I always tell folks and, and much like, you know, the, the brilliant Ellie Gloud, you know, Dr. Ellie mm -hmm. Gloud, you know, mentioned in that, that now infamous, you know, <laughs> Uh, like the two minute segment that he gave, you know, about, you know, in response to like gun violence and all that stuff. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. Donald Trump is, is, is the symptom. I mean, this is, you know, this is kind of like what comes out of all this stuff. I mean, this is much deeper. You can get rid of Donald Trump, but the, you know, the issues, this ideology, I mean, you can even ban all guns. I mean, that's not going to stop any of, of this. I mean, so it's like Kendrick, I think, you know, provides some of those things and at the same time complicates them further. And which is just, which, which is what's, very fascinating and i think we're moving from a a culture and i think this is the disturbing part for so many people right it's like we're moving from a culture that used to be able to tell us what to think how to act how to be right, right? right. you know what I'm saying right. you think about the tony i would like to refer to it as the tony robbins culture right it's like you know it's like you know here's here's what you got to do here are the five steps you know when in reality nobody does that shit you know what i'm saying i mean yeah. and, and sure it sells and yeah oh i'm successful and all this stuff we're noting a um, a billionaire that just died. Um, was it two days ago? It was in the New York mm -hmm. Times, and you know he was an oil tycoon, and he is yes, yeah. and he is known for being an asshole. Like right. where's where's the book on that? Like how to be an asshole, but yet be a billionaire. And so right, right. And mm -hmm. I think this this again ties into that, and it's and I think that's part of why folks have tried to make Kendrick into something that maybe he's not even. And I know uh, right. both of you have talked about this and Monica, particularly your first book, talk about this. Like, are mm -hmm. we making hip hop and religion and theology into something that is really not? Um, right. And that's a deep question to ask. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, definitely. Oh, my goodness. The work has just progressed so much, um, you know, thanks to the work that um, you're doing, Dan, among a host of um, so many other folk, you know, Joe Winters and yeah. of course, you know, uh, Dr. Penn's work as well. And, you know, so many other voices and folk that are putting um, pen to paper and kind of, you know, being willing to articulate uh, their thoughts around this. But, you know, just to think that we started off, you know, saying, you know, what's the, you know, what's the religious got to do with hip hop? And here, you know, we're asking um, different kinds of questions of hip hop, you know, as it concerns these human constructions. Um, you know, but as to the craziness of the world, you know, 
you know, how someone can be an asshole and still a billionaire and then get, you know, lauded in the news as, you know, so some sort of, you know, um, guru or icon. Right. Fascinating. But if we think about it, is that not like, think about our own field as kind of an EG, as just a little slice of an example. Yeah. You know, you, you can be an asshole and a racist and develop something called history of religions, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, doc, this is profane. Yeah, right. Or you can, you know, develop a theory of the fetish and really be fetishizing, yeah. you know, black and brown bodies, you know, and we can call that high theory, you know? So our history tells us that you can be an asshole and, you know, you can create these, you know, um, tomes that come to be sort of lifted up and highly regarded. Like it seems that especially when someone dies, there's something about death, Dan, that makes us sort of remember bodies in different kinds. Of yes. Ways. Yes. You know, our Malinowski memory, is a good um, example of that. This, mm. His diary or his uh, field notes published after, after he was gone mm. by, I think his widow uh, show that he was, an absolutely dreadful person who hated nearly every second in the field. Or how do we come to still use Alfuzer and he like killed his wife? <laughs> you, know, her. you know what yes. I'm saying, Doc? Like, yes. you know, I just think. How are we still listening field. to Chris Brown? <laughs> just to bring it to the contemporary well we don't but i know we, we that you're talking about how's he still on the radio or folk are still listening to you know um god for this would have to be a whole nother segment yeah. but some folk are still listening to r kelly oh big and, time i mean goodness gracious well, and I mean, exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, so that does, right? That bring, kind of brings that up. I mean, this is a good segue. I know I, I definitely, I mean, we could we could continue on on this for like another two hours. And, and I definitely want to respect all of our times. I know we running and, and, and rooving and chucking and grinding and all that. But yeah. I definitely, I think, because this ties, this is a good little segue into method as identity, mm -hmm. um, uh, manufacturing distance in the academic study of religion. And in this particular text, um, thank you, by the way, for sending me a copy of this. This was this is it's a brilliant text, um, and and in this and looking at it, and you actually get into ghost stories and how method reveals mm -hmm. identity in the study of religion. Because I find ghosts and spirits, just from a metaphysical and quantum perspective, mm -hmm. uh, fascinating. And just in that realm, particularly when you start thinking about magnetism and the manipulation of that, you know, the ability right to walk through walls and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. That's uh, that sort of stuff, you know, is fascinating to me. So I'd be curious if y'all want to talk a little bit about that and some of the, maybe some of the connections here with, you know, method as a Denny and now, you know, this Kendrick Lamar. I mean, I know the when does the Kendrick come out again? Sorry, I may, maybe I missed that. Uh, a month from uh, Sunday, so October sixteenth, I think. And if uh, everyone could ask your uh, libraries to pick up a copy, that would make. Uh, that would expedite the process of it being more economical. So uh, please uh, help help us out, spread the word about the book. And a huge shout out to our contributors, Ralph Bristow, Margarita Simon-Guillory, uh, Dr. Daniel White-Hodge, Michael Thomas, Juan Floyd Thomas, Rob Peach, James Perkinson, Monica Miller, of course, Darius Hills, Yourself. John Gill, Christopher Driscoll, <laughs> Joe Winters, Anthony Penn, Ben Lul and Taylor, and Melanie Jones, Dominic Hammer, 
Sam Kestenbaum, Andre Key, and Spencer Dew. So thank you to all of the contributors. It's a rich, uh, robust cadre of folks who, uh, yeah, we're, we're really thrilled that everyone. Our only um, regret about this volume, Dan, and you know, you know, when a volume uh, comes out, you know, you always look back and wish you could have done that and done this, you know, and oftentimes what is represented is not always the whole story in a lot of ways, right? We just yeah. wish there could have been more, um, you know, women's voices in the volume. Uh, we tried as hard as we could to uh, make that happen, but we definitely um, would love to see um, more uh, sort of women, you know, more female voices um, interacting in on that conversation and the dialogue. Uh, yeah, so sure. we do want to um, just sort of acknowledge that oversight. Um, not an oversight because we did invite folk, but it just sort of the way it shook out in the end, as all books do. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't turn out uh, that way. But Method as Identity um, is such an exciting that's a good um, segue text. into method as identity. There you go. The way that representation it, it matters, and it, it's it is never less than the issues that folks know about in the way of political correctness and and niceties of that sort. But really, method as identity is a kind of uh, we hope at least an expose into the way that uh, our identities, our social identities, are absolutely and inextricably connected to. Um, not only epistemology in a kind of macro level sense, but in the methods that provide our avenues of un uncovering, unearthing knowledge, information. Right. And uh, I mean, right. we've, uh, the post-colonial critiques and the kind of post-modern turns have done well to connect the dots between, and here I'm speaking most specifically about the academic study of religion, the, uh, the field of religion, uh, not not the academy in general, but uh, th those critiques have done well to connect the dots between the the impact or the import of social context, social identity on epistemology by way of hermeneutics, of course. But what really hasn't been addressed is how uh, those same issues are, are brought to bear on the methodological choices that folks, that scholars make as much as the methodological options that are thrust in front of scholars. So one of the things that we uh, talk about in the book is uh, Charles Long. So Charles right. Long uh, yeah. uh, is just a really understudied, brilliant thinker. But one of the, so he's all over the book, but one of the stories we provide is how his time at the University of Chicago was marked by a, a tension. So he goes in, initially being interested in theology, uh, but through uh, his, uh, uh, I don't know, a serendipitous moment where he connects with Joachim Bach, that Bach ends up inspiring Long into shifting from theology to the history of religions. And this becomes a, a mm -hmm. point of contention for uh, some of the faculty there. And uh, so we talk about why that is. Why would it be that this young, precocious, brilliant student would have to deal with those kind of political realities, even on the the before side of his PhD. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah, that is fascinating. And, you know, this, um, as it sort of uh, seems to be our um, 
you know, trend here. Uh, the Kendrick book came out of a conversation. Method as Identity was born during the time when uh, Chris and I first went to the International Association for the History of Religions. We were in Effort, Germany okay. um, at the time, and we were presenting on Method um, as Identity. It was a paper that we had co-authored together, and we didn't know who we would be on a panel with. Um, so we come to find out that we're on a panel with Don Weeb, and we're like, oh my God, holy shit, what are we, like, this is like a really big deal, you know? And especially for me, Chris has always been way more um, of an existentialist, but coming out of critical uh, thought and, you know, critical approaches to the category um, of religion, I'm like, wow, this is a really big opportunity. Interestingly, what we were saying in the paper, Dan, has a lot of synergy with things that he has already written. Hmm. And so there was um, some synergy there. Really, we were just raising the question of if religion is social formation and process and you know, there's no such thing as Jean, you know, Francois Bayard says, there's no such thing as identity, only operational acts of identification. When, what then does it mean to think about methodological possibilities and also limitations? And how can we keep the critical part of the critical study um, of religion critical? Like, how can we keep critical critical. We don't want it to turn into something else, but how do we maintain a particular kind of critical edge? Interestingly, we give our talk and we find uh, Don Weed to just be highly um, passive aggressive and like very um, confrontational <laughs> with us. Okay. And we couldn't figure out why, like we had no way of like understanding it. And then um, a podcast, which is somewhere buried to this day, because we were like, you know, we'll pursue, we'll pursue action if this podcast is published because it was so oh, damn oppositional and so antagonistic and everything we said was just wrong for him. And, but there was like nothing really, it's like a ghost story in a way, doc, because there was nothing grounding the opposition. We couldn't make sense of it. And I, we have hunches about what that could have been about. Um, but hmm. it's just about identities and social identities, you know, whether it's different histories, whether it's different, you know, complex categorical uses coming out of different traditions. It's almost like, although we were presenting in the critical trend to the academic study of religion, he couldn't see us as any more than coming out of some kind of phenomenological impulse in the study of in the academic study of black religion. It, like it really was about identity bumping up against each other because yeah. there was no what to the to the opposition. So w w to kind of summarize, uh, we had been arguing that the, the critical approach or approaches uh, will, will necessarily have to contend with um, the impact of area studies, identity-based discourses, whether they like it or not. And so we're interested in how to adjudicate those issues. His perspective was, nope, 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 that's a problem. So like, uh, in other words, he wanted to be hardline with respect to the possibility of a, a totally disinterested objective posture 
for the study of religion. Yeah, I think and, at one point he even was like, oh, you know, all that stuff you all are talking. Like, again, it was about identities for us and it was about social right. difference. He, he, you know, um, he said, you know, oh, that's just a bunch of postmodern mumbo jumbo. He did say that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, but I, I mean, wow. the, but our concern <laughs> the, book, the book is not is about much Donald bigger than him. The, yeah. the book just starts with Donald Weed because it, he inspired us to kind of routinize and expand what had been to that point uh, just a, a co-authored article. So we expanded it to really explore <laughs> the degree to which the tendency that we were seeing in Weeb. So he's a kind of case study because he's telling us that identity doesn't matter for the study of religion, but it's very clear. It's blatantly obvious to us that he's protecting his identity. He's, he's vested in the debate. He just wants to tell us that we can't be. And so we- Or were, that we, we're doing it we're, wrong. So method as identity is our effort to kind of historicize those uh, those uh, behaviors, those tendencies- those kinds of troubles. Within the field. And so, uh, for example, we look to um, the uh, an early international- uh, Association for the History of Religions Congress that happens uh, in the middle of the 20th century in Japan. And we show that what at that time had been framed as a series of issues related to method weren't born out of any kind of effort at uh, galvanizing a single method for the sake of the discipline. Uh, they were born out of social anxieties arising from the Japanese scholars having a kind of authority with respect to Shintoism, etc., other Eastern traditions that all of these old white men thought that they were the experts of. Mm. But the, these old white men were following a kind of scientific approach that was disinterested and objective at its face over and against these Japanese scholars who were essentially practitioners or, or what have you. And so uh, yeah, we chart that out as as another uh, example of the way that um, the contemporary suggestion that the study of religion ought be disinterested. It, it is not a, a bad suggestion. It's a necessary component of what we do, but it's not the end of the story. Right. I mean, and for me, Dan, so what does the collaboration mean between uh, me and Chris, as I mentioned, I come out of the critical approach to the category of religion. Um, Chris is critical, but critical in my perspective in a different kind of way, in a different sort of way. He is more of an existentialist uh, than I. Um, Which for those you don't know is is a way of talking about the category of experience in this case. <laughs> without, I think we get, I like the category of experience. I don't like when we allow it to be over determining of our projects. But I, I, in a philosophical sense, I think uh, uh, Kevin Shilbrack is a better example of this, someone who's wanting to say, look, the category of experience isn't expendable. It's not something that scholars can jettison so easily. Right. That, that's my perspective. And, you know, adding to that, um, something else really important to mention alongside of these narratives that impact this project or that help to give birth to it in a lot of ways. You know, for us, going to the American Academy of Religion, and Dan, I know you run in many circles at AAR, so I know you probably feel a similar kind of way, or you've seen um, this sort of at work, like 
it's not that AAR is segregated, but it feels mm-hmm. segregated to us. You got your theory mm-hmm. and method people over here. You got your yeah. biology people over here. You got your yeah. woman, doing womanist stuff over here. Then you got the feminists. Then you got hip hop scholars. But the critical stuff, the stuff happening, you know, um, out of the critical approach, if we think of like Nasser, for example, you know, that these are programs that are happening kind of um, outside of those primary spaces. And then all the critical stuff that's happening in black theology um, doesn't get the kind of attention in the discourses on the critical in the study of religion because it's over, it's over determined as racialized or it's, or something becomes over determined as sexualized or as gendered or just as standpoint versus actually doing something critical in theory, method, and study of religion. So the kind of discursive and disciplinary, not disciplinary segregation, it's a different kind of segregation. It's like a methodological segregation where you have some folk that are doing critical work and then all those other people that are just doing identity-based, you know, projects. And we wanted to complicate that narrative a little bit. And for me, Dan, it's pushing back on myself in a way. And so I wanted to take up some critiques that came out of the first work, Religion and Hip Hop, you know I make a very, very sharp turn towards the critical mm-hmm. yeah. in the project. And my work takes that, toes that line, um, you know, ever since after. Uh, I still very much um, see myself uh, doing, you know, uh, critical approaches to the academic study of religion or thinking about the critical in the academic study of religion. But we wanted to get to what we were calling these discursive milieus of vagueness, you know, the categories of authenticity and origins or essentialism. And for me, there was a certain kind of trend that I was noticing um, in the critical camp that anytime we talk about essentialism or anytime we talk about origins, our data or our EGs are examples for these kinds of strategies and tactics end up being highly gendered, highly racialized, you know, um, highly religioned. Like what does it mean to always have data that is sort of highly marginalized coming out of particular kinds of standpoints? And then I started thinking to myself, well, I'm relying almost on theory and method as if it's its own gospel, as if it's its own um, sort of um, un- untouchable, sui generis kind of thing that doesn't have its own interested relationship with particular kind of identity formations and social identities. Although we was kind of going back to the category of science or the scientific, you know, in a lot of ways, like when you when you say something about the scientific, like you're also invoking identities um, as well. Um, And so method doesn't mean something is disconnected from the forces and, you know, the um, significance of identity or that it doesn't have something to say to identity. And then thirdly, we noticed that theory and method were being used kind of as these holy grail categories that were interchangeable with each other. So it was either you do method and then you're assumed to do theory or you do theory and it's assumed you do method. But then the folk that we look back to as our kind of methodologist, you know, par excellence are folk that, you know, 
I'd be highly critical of their work in a lot of ways, or they actually weren't as critical as we're making them out to be. They might be a little bit more phenomenological, or they actually um, have something to say about the sacred as a set apart distinction. Like, for example, I think Durkheim gets read wrong in a lot of uh, these kinds of conversations. So we really wanted to you know, make more complex and really muddy uh, these kind of categories to say, well, is it method identity too? Mm -hmm. Damn. See, and this is why I have wanted to get both y'all on the podcast. I am so glad I hit record because that stuff right there is gold. <laughs> it's platinum. Um, <laughs> well, thanks to you, Doc. You always pull it out of us. So we always, time just flies when we're talking with you and Indeed. chopping it up with you and um, we're going to continue this work. You know, we just you submitted a proposal um, for the next, you know, um, International Association for the History of Religions. Mm -hmm. We're trying to historicize the discourse of black religion back into the larger history of religions paradigm. Yeah. And I mean, the last thing I guess I'll say before we start to wrap things up is, I mean, we were initially motivated to kind of think about the importance of our area of specialization, the, the study of African-American religion and how it might speak back to the, the general field of religion. And in, in that initial kind of concern or interest, we realized that blackness, black bodies in particular, have always been absolutely central to the study of religion for reasons that we don't have time to go into fully. But um, so, we, we were kind of like struck, hmm, the thing that we thought we wanted to be kind of uh, helping to cultivate, it had already been operative. It had just not received the kind of interpretation that it, uh, that it warrants. So for instance, 19th century theorists of, of religion, that it, and folks have gone so far as to say the inventors of religion, uh, are preoccupied with this, the things, the, the cultural things that black folks are doing globally. All of these white folks are being blindsided left and right. They have a, a, a paucity of resources for understanding black cultural expression. And as a result, all of these theories uh, like crop up and it's those theories that crop up emerging from this weird kind of uh, titillated white experience of black blackness as other that shapes the major theories that undergird the academic study of religion today. Fact, period, end of so, sentence. So <laughs> Chris is very certain. And so in a lot of on ways, point, I, uh, on this point, and so in a lot of ways, Dan, it's like, wow, you know, you just step back from that and you think about how we're always trying to write black religion into the larger discourse of mm. the academic of religion, but wouldn't it be something to think about how there really would be no comparative method, no history of religions, no academic study of religion if it weren't for these black and brown bodies that were being studied and certainly were studying those folk back, right? But those stories have yet to be written. They were studying back as well um, in their own ways. That's one of the questions we ask in Method as Identity, like what happens when data starts to speak back, you know? Um, mm. yeah, it's like in the vein of Savage Systems by Chidester and other earlier works. Um, you know, we're interested in the uh, cultural contact 
as a as a trope, essentially, as a way of thinking uh, about the kind of material realities that are often ignored in conversations about interpretation or conversations about hermeneutics. There's this kind of metaphysicalization of those discourses. We're interested in the kind of brass tacks. Uh, I mean, almost the kind of Marxist concern for thinking about the the shape of ideology on material realities and vice versa. Or like, you know, um, to build on what Chris is saying, Dan, like, wouldn't it be something if we had a text that, you know, I'm not saying there are other works out there that haven't done this, but if we just had, you know, a comprehensive study that looks at something, not something called black religion, but something called black religion vis-a-vis American religion, like, it's not that we get this distinct thing called black religion, like black bodies fundamentally shape the perspectives of American, you know, uh, political outlooks of philosophy of discourses on religion. It changes the structure and the form and the content of religion itself. It just wasn't this thing in isolation. So there, my thesis and another project I'm working on like new black gods is that, there would be no American religion without black religion in a lot of ways. Um, that without black bodies, you don't even get this thing called American religion. And so there we're not thinking about our little piece of the pie, our little black religion, you know, as kind of, you know, one standpoint, you know, among a larger academic study of religion. It's like, no, black bodies help to found the academic study of religion. And without black bodies, we wouldn't have this thing that we're even calling the academic study of religion. And that's why, for me, I'm really also interested in the heterodox. Like, I wanted to sort of challenge myself, Dan, like, damn, I see Tupac and Mark saying the same thing in a lot. Mm. You've studied Pac way longer and way more than I have. Um, but Pac is such a Marxist to me in a lot of ways. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. what Pac is already talking about and why is it that I come to teach with him so much, you know, especially that interview where he's talking about taking one of the O's at a good, it's God. And you add a D to evil, it's the devil. And then he's like some cool mother effer sat down a long time ago and said, let's just figure out a way to control people. And then goes on to ask these really deep uh, questions. Yep. Right. Like, why yep. do you need gold ceilings to talk to me? You know, why are there these big churches that take up whole blocks out here and there's homeless people out here? Like he's asking deep questions and he's talking about, you know, religion as a certain kind of uh, drug in a way that this kind of addiction or the possession of it or how it's organizing uh, people and how it's actually taking folk away from just being humanists um, in a lot of ways. And so. I wanted to challenge myself, like, why am I not using long more in my work? Like, why am I not using Pac more in my work? Why um, do I feel there has to be a certain kind of legitimation or a certain kind of orthodoxy to the work, you know, in order for it to be considered the work? Like, that is, a, as Jay-Z Smith would call it, there's all these kinds of disciplinary lies that take place. He was talking about intro courses, but here I'm talking about scholarship in general. And I wanted to kind of turn that into um, a sort of ethnography of the self. I wanted to interrogate um, myself and I'm continuing to do that work um, 
you know, in New Black Gods? And why is it that, you know, scientists are saying certain things about certain kinds of diets? Well, you know, Elijah Muhammad said the same thing in How to Eat to Live. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I knew. Exactly. Ex oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. We'll need a part two to chop it up about that or like, you know, as Chris and I are obsessed with the five percenters in our research right now, <laughs> both of us concurrently working on different projects. But it's like they were talking about Neanderthals, like, you know, how long ago? And, you know, they have folk writing on these topics. And now scientists are coming out talking about certain things, you know, regarding Neanderthal and human identity construction and what does it mean to be human and all of these sorts of things. You know, why couldn't we take it from the five percenters or from Nation of Islam when they were talking about it? I couldn't agree more. I mean, and I think, you know, along those similar lines, I mean, it's like, you know, my, you know, now with tenure and full professor, I can actually begin to kind of get wow. into some of these these areas that, you know, aren't so stringent where you have to name the the white gods and goddesses, you know, of the academy uh -huh. and whatnot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, when you think about, you know, just mathematically, like where mm -hmm. folks have been, it's like, well, Africans had that stuff figured out a long time ago. It's like, you know, wow. you, you've got tribes just in South America that... Mm -hmm were able to predict star systems that are 40 and 30 light years away and were able to tell you that there was this was a, a binary uh, a star system and you know NASA's just now saying oh yeah yep. that's that yep the Hubble telescope confirmed that it's just like but how did they know I'm like come <laughs> on nigga like, really you gonna, you gonna, be, you gonna right. do us like that Doc, that's your next book. That's it. No, actually, I just pitched that. So, yes, I, that, that oh, is it. <laughs> Tell us what you're working on, Doc. Oh, man. I Well, I have to say this. I mean, I mean, this is what I, I have really appreciated. I don't know if I've ever, like, formalized this, but it's like y'all have both you know, help, you know, inform my own research and my own, you know, space and, and, and whatnot. And have pushed me to think further and past along those those gilded lines of evangelicalism or what is Christianity. And I mean, and I, I've appreciated that both about both of you. And I think, man, y'all like the, you know, like the power couple now, man. I'm like, good night to have two scholars in the uh, in the house. I don't, I don't know how y'all do it. I mean, it's bad enough with me in here and the schedule I keep and stuff. <laughs> so. Well, well, that, that's that's that, humbling, man. man. Your uh, your work the same about is, you. is uh, really significant. So that mm -hmm. that means a lot to hear, um, for sure. Um, yeah. 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 So so are you? You're seriously at work on those topics? topics right now i'm trying to i've spent at least okay. easily the last six seven years you know reading a lot of any text i can get my hand on mm -hmm. on astrophysics and astronomy string theory wow. chaos theory um kardashev's type you know type civilizations you know the german scholar yeah. you know astrophysicist yeah. that talks a lot about just different civilizations and you know what they would be uh, order of the dolphin you know the signals that were sent off uh you know back in the 70s and stuff and so um yeah wow. it's, it's just it's interesting you know just to kind of put some of these pieces together combine those again with stuff that people don't want to look like what look look at which is why i think mm -hmm. bone thugs and harmony is so important to the hip-hop uh cultural continuum mm -hmm. because they were willing to look at aspects of the supernatural that i don't think a lot of us want to or at least want us to want to want to place a nice 
smooth veneer over. It's like, oh, our loved ones are looking down on us and stuff. Like, okay, okay, well, right. Like, well, how do we know that? And what is and what does that look like when our spirit being moves on from this life to a next life? And so. Wow. You know, connecting wow. it back to that. And so just kind of looking at some of those areas, but particularly focusing on, you know, astronomy and um, and just, yeah, again, the understanding of the metaphysics within religion. Wow. Um, and that was wonderful. That's fascinating. It looks like we're all working on some sort of uh, heterodox data sets right now. There I'll you be go. Excited to see these works come out and, um, you know, be in conversation uh, with each other and, you know, talking about heterodoxy. Um, lastly, one of the things I'll say is that, you know, uh, with tenure, like you said, you get certain kinds of uh, privileges to oh, write yeah. different ways to, you know, talk in different ways, right? It's kind of um, an incredible uh, event, an incredible thing. And so um, I, you know, have committed to um, try and write uh, much more about, you know, new black religious movements and black atheism, black humanism. You know, I am an atheist. I can't speak for uh, Chris, um, but, Depends on the day. but I'm open to conversations um, that folk have around, you know, things uh, that are, you know, grounded in um, a certain kind of metaphysics, you know, or grounded in, um, you know, a certain kind of uh, spirituality. Like I'm very much an ethnographer in that regard, Dan, you know, I'm interested in why the five percenters call each other God. I'm interested uh, in their esotericism in a way or their eclecticism that's at the heart of their philosophy as a way of life. Um, and, you know, I think you see this in Kendrick. I think you see this especially in uh, Erica Badu's work for mm, sure. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Margarita Simon Guillory, who's been yeah. really one of the, uh, you know, um, lone individuals out there kind of really sustaining a discourse on um, Erica, you know, or what if we think of Kendrick's high power, you know, as a certain kind of metaphysic, you know, mm-hmm. in a way. And what does that mean when you get black bodies trying to do something metaphysical? It doesn't mean something metaphysical is happening. It means they're trying to be organized by and organize the world uh, in a particular kind of way. So it's still very humanist uh, for me in a lot of ways. But with that said, my personal journey is crazy, though, Doc, because, you know, I told a particular line. Um, I'm a humanist, atheist. You know, I don't uh, have a theistic functioning center that guides my world. And yet, as you're talking about the supernatural, like I've had so many experiences that I mm. just cannot explain. <laughs> yeah. Science can't explain it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not talking about like just yesterday. I mean, just I can remember from being a young girl growing up, you know, from my teenage years. Um I have not talked about this publicly um, at all, hardly. So, well, thank you, Dan, for the opportunity to talk about this publicly. Yeah. But I have a lot of experiences that I cannot explain. And I know they're physiological experiences. So maybe there is a kind of scientific reason for it, but no one will ever be able to tell me, you know, that when I'm stuck in between this kind of awake and sleep state, for example, and I feel literally stuck that I'm not seeing certain things like that certain things, you know, my eyes are looking at something, whether it's a dream, it still feels very physiological. And so I am interested in um, the way we come to talk about the unknown and uncertainty, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that. But I've had a lot of things happen to me in the past that I just cannot um, 
explain, you know, and I'm okay yep. leaving it there, you know, but I'm really glad that you're exploring that and kind of taking uh, that scientific piece up. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to um, just, you know, read you on the page and we need that kind of work so bad, Dan. So I'm really, really, really excited. Very happy to hear that you're at work on that kind of text. Well, yeah. thank you both. Yes, sir. What uh, what were you going to say, Chris? I just said did a. Yeah, <laughs> well, listen, y'all, let me, um, man, I tell you, like I said, I could, I could, I, I could keep going. I mean, cause this is, I mean, I have to feel like we're just warming up, uh, to stuff. Um, but, uh, yo, working, working folks find you, where can, uh, they come and, 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 and have you out to, uh, you know, give you that nice honorarium. What was it? Uh, uh, what did they they pay uh, Michael or oh no 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 Spence uh, what, no not Spence what's his name uh, the for, the first speaker of the house the one who was all fighting with everybody well they were all fighting with everybody though oh um <laughs> he just came out here to Northeastern University here and um and they paid him fifty thousand dollars just to come wow. speak for an hour so I was like man that's I'm the lecture circuit I need to be on oh we're <laughs> way cheaper than that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, interesting you asked about where can you know uh, where can folk find you um, folk can always email me uh, my email address is mrm213 at lehigh.edu I've been off of social media for a really long time um, yeah very grateful uh, for the interactions that I continue uh, to still get on social media I will sort of come back but I had to kind of take a break uh, from it especially delving into um, these uh, new and different kind of data sets just you know stepping back a little bit kind of kind of retreating a little bit um, getting some time to just sort of think and curate uh, these projects and you know step out of that um, space for a moment I do intend on coming back but I'm on Twitter at religion hip hop. Um, I don't really do much on it, but I will get notifications and things like that there. And uh, folks can find me at, and other ways to get a hold of me through my website, shadesofwhite.org. And uh, I'm also on Twitter at White Lies Book. Got it. Oh, my, my email, if you want to be professional about it or whatever, my email <laughs> is CMD, C, uh, Christopher, uh, M as in Mark, and then D as in Driscoll, uh, at, no, CMD, what is it? 413, 413, 413 at lehigh.edu. And again, as always, those listening, I will put all these links in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. Uh, you can contact both Drs. Miller and uh, Driscoll here. Um, thank you both for taking the time and coming on and explaining, engaging with this uh, very riveting conversation. And one that's much needed It's what I continue to tell folks that in this, again, this era, a lot of stuff changed. I mean, you can look back at like, you know. 2001, mm -hmm. you know, 9-11 changed a lot. I mean, 2016, a lot right. changed. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if someone is not looking at religion and how it operates in day-to-day -day Western society, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure what they're looking at and sure what they're overlooking. So thank right. you for well, the work both of you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Same thank right you, back Doc. to you, uh, Dan. Thank you so much for the opportunity to 
uh, chop it up with you, to think with you and learn from you as always. I could uh, talk with you for hours as we normally do when we're at AAR. There it is. <laughs> there it is. We will come um, November. So. I want to just congratulate you on your promotion to full. Uh, that is an incredibly um, difficult process and it's an exclusive process, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, that you've arrived at that moment uh, in this time. Uh, we need you. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh, big congratulations to you, to your family, because I know it's a sacrifice of family um, in a lot of ways, as much as it's a celebration of family in a lot of ways. <laughs> and so, um, you know, to to your uh, wife and, and, and your beautiful daughter, you know, uh, congratulations to to them as well. And uh, for your uh, for your work, Stan, for the work that you're putting out for the pop book that's um, about to drop. I'm so looking forward to getting my hands on that. So we thank you for the work uh, that you do for the friend that you are and for the critical thinker uh, that always um, helps us to pull out our own critical edges. Oh my, well, thank you. I am definitely humble. I appreciate it. But this was fantastic. It was, yes. It was a lot of fun. 